whenever we uh, approached the Scriptures like we uh, are about to do, we come uh, reflecting on the fact that God often has something to say to us in His Scriptures, and we uh, take comfort that that's the, the venue that He chooses to, to speak to us this morning. And so if you need to hear God's voice in your life, then uh, look no further than His Word. This morning I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot." Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts now be pleasing to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, For the next couple weeks, uh, really probably until we get to the Advent season, which I can hardly believe I'm even saying, uh, until we get to the Advent season, we are going to be returning to uh, the book of Romans. Uh, For 2017, we've really come back and forth uh, to the book of Romans, and we're going to turn for the next couple weeks. If if you're not familiar, Romans is a a book in the New Testament. It's a New Testament epistle uh, or a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to the church in Rome, which when he wrote it was really the center of the ancient world, the center of the government, the center of culture, all was a part of, uh, of, of this Roman uh, city. And it was written to both Jews and to Gentiles. It was written to this church that was full of these different ethnicities. And it really talks about uh, what the nature of the gospel means for the Jewish community, uh, but also for the Gentile community, and what it means for those two communities uh, to be together in the nature of the gospel. If you've ever read it before, you'll, you'll discover very quickly that it is, it is the most intensely theological book probably in all of the New Testament, probably in all the Scriptures. Um, it prompted John Calvin to say that Romans is the entrance to all the most hidden treasures of the Scriptures. And in many ways, it is a masterful book if you've ever read it uh, from start to finish. Uh, each time we've approached it, we've, we've called our sermon series uh, Mysterious Absolutes. 
And, and what we mean by that is that the book of Romans contains all of these kind of absolutes, these, these bedrocks of the faith that we have to believe in in order to be rescued by Jesus Christ. It's the essentials of the faith. But we also call them mysteries because in many ways they are shrouded in the very mystery of God, meaning that we need to embrace them by faith. The Apostle Paul, in many ways throughout the book, and you just heard it, engages our intellect and our reason as we think about the nature of our faith. But that journey is a journey that gets deeper and deeper into the mysteries of the faith at the same time. And this morning's passage is one of the most foundational passages in all of the book of Romans. It really summarizes, which is appropriate for us to start on it, it really summarizes everything Paul's talked about up until this point in the book of Romans, and then it helps us to build an extra layer or build on that foundation. And what Paul does is he establishes a few things about the nature of our world and the nature of the gospel, and he begs the question, which of these two natures do you live under? One of the things he he starts with is helping us to see that we all live under some sort of nature or some sort of authority. As I interact with folks about the gospel, um, one of the barriers that people often have concerning the faith or coming to the faith centers around this idea of freedom. And the objection goes a little bit like this, is uh, they say something along the lines of, the faith is really interesting to me, or it's really fascinating, but it seems rather stifling. I don't want to kind of let go of this freedom to do what I want to do and when I want to do when I want to do it. And, and because I don't want to let go of that freedom, I don't want to embrace this faith because it kind of tells me what to do. It stifles all of my freedom. They don't want to sacrifice what they believe to be a life of freedom to live a life of submission. But one of the things that our passage reminds us is the fact that actually really none of us are free. We all live under some sort of authority or some sort of powerful domain. I can remember when I was a college college senior, and I'd spent my whole life living under the authority of my parents and living under the authority of my teachers and my instructors and my professors. And I can remember thinking that now that I'm getting ready to graduate, I'm finally going to be free right? I don't have to live under my parents' authority or I don't have to do what these professors tell me to do anymore. But what I quickly realized is that that expectation is squashed by reality. Because I went into the work world and I discovered that I have bosses and I kind of have to do what they say. I remember realizing that I have a landlord who kind of demands certain things of me, or, or I, have, I now live within a government that I now have to pay taxes to. So what I discovered really quickly is that the authority never ends. It just changes. In many ways, I ex- exchanged one set of authority for another one. And what is true practically about life is also true spiritually. We all live under some sort of authority. One well-known pastor said this. He said, true freedom is not the absence of constraints, 
but rather the choice of liberating constraints because we are always bound to something. And see, that's what Paul's establishing here. So then he wants us to ask, what is, if we all live under authority, what is the authority that we are living under? One of the things that he establishes is that humanity, by and large, lives under the law or the authority of sin and death. See, Paul uses the metaphor of of law here that would have really rung a lot of bells in his audience, especially for his Jewish audience. In other places in the passage, he calls it the flesh. And what he means is it is the system or the domain of this world. It is the reality of the world that you and I interact with each day. And he begins to outline what it is. What is this law that we live under? And he talks about in the book of Romans, Adam and Eve, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, where they really did experience the freedom of humanity, but that freedom quickly was replaced by the slavery of sin when they committed that first sin. And ever since then, you and I live in the reality and the consequences of that sin. There's evidence of the tyranny of sin all around us. Just turn on the evening news one night and you will see evidence of it everywhere. But the truth is, we don't have to turn on the news to see it. All we have to do is to take a moment to peer in our own lives and in our own hearts. You see, our affections, our mind, our will, everything about us is caught in the tyranny of sin. And what is so deceptive of this slavery is the fact that many of us are blind to it. We are blind to the true nature of who we are, and we think that what we experience is freedom, is actually, the Scriptures tell us, the tyranny of sin. Paul tells us about it. He says, it has left us helpless. We are weakened in the flesh, he says in verse 3, meaning that we are unable to satisfy a just and holy God. We're unable to overthrow that tyranny of sin in our lives. We are enslaved to it. It deceives us. In many ways, it controls us. Verse 8 tells us that we cannot please God because of it. The standard that God requires remains grossly unfulfilled in our lives. He says that uh, in verse 4. We've missed the mark. We have fallen short. And that tyranny of sin leaves us hostile towards God. He says this in verse 7. We don't submit to God and we don't want to. We'd rather go our own path. Because of all this, it leaves us spiritually alone. We have no sense of belonging, verse 8. We are are spiritually like a ship that is adrift in a vast ocean. And in a sense, this is getting what we asked for. We've rebelled against a loving God, and it has set us cosmically adrift. We do not belong to God. He's given us the very independence that we wanted in our rebellion, but it has left us severely wanting, full of longings that will never truly be satisfied. Paul also tells us what this law will be or what will be the end of this law. He says that being under the law and the domain of sin leaves us condemned. That's a big word, condemned before God. 
We are condemned for all the ways that we have rebelled against him. And this condemnation hangs over the head of all men and women, all of humanity. And at the end of our earthly lives, we will bear the full condemnation for what we have done. Sin will bring its natural consequences. We will be set adrift, cut away from the source of life for all of eternity with no help of rescue. And this is what we deserve because of our rebellion. This is life under the law of sin and death. But what Paul also describes graciously is that there is another law to live under. He shows us that God's chosen people live under the law of the spirit of life. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Thankfully, there is another law or domain to live under the law of the spirit of life. And Paul begins to flesh out what it is. In many ways, he says, it's the opposite of the law of sin and death. It isn't something that we earn. Instead, it is something that we are given. It's a life that is liberated to be what it was intended to be from the very beginning. It's a life that's been powerfully united to Jesus Christ. Our condemnation was placed on him. He assumed our punishment and his goodness and his righteousness and perfection is given to us. His righteousness is credited to our account. Our debt has been paid. The sentence of condemnation that hung over our heads was placed on him instead. And when that happens, we become liberated from the just penalty that each one of us deserves. And we receive all of the spiritual blessings of God as if we had lived a perfect life. Friends, we all know what, what it's like to live under the pressures of life. Maybe for you, it's, it's a credit card bill or, or a school loan that you just don't seem like you'll ever get paid. You'll never be freed from that debt. Maybe it's the burden of a troubled relationship. You've reached an impasse with someone you love and you can't imagine it ever reconciling and you can no longer be in the same room with that person. Maybe for you, it's the burden of regret or a tarnished reputation. You feel that everybody knows what you've done, and when you leave the room, they whisper about you and spread lots of rumors about you. We all know what it's like to live under burdens. But friends, the greatest burden of all of them is the burden that we owe to a God whom we have offended. But in Jesus Christ... We can be freed from that burden. Imagine the liberation you feel if you were freed from any one of those scenarios that I just described and then multiply them infinitely. That is the liberation that we have in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation. You have been freed from it. You can own your mess and your imperfections and your missteps Because the cosmic consequences have been removed. You've been freed from them. 
And Paul also tells us what it will be in the future. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I've reflected on this image all week and what a, what a wild idea this is. That the same awesome power that raised Jesus from the dead at the resurrection, that same identical power breathes life into the deadness of your souls and mine. And that life will carry us into all of eternity. We won't spend eternity cut off from the source of life. Instead, we will drink deeply from the well of life for all of eternity. We will belong to Christ. And as we'll see shortly in Romans 8, nothing will ever be able to separate us from that love and that belonging. We see what it means for us in eternity, but what does it mean for us now? Well, it means that if you are not Christ's, then you remain under the law of sin and death. The sentence of condemnation burdens your soul, and one day you will experience the very thing that your sinful heart has led you to, an eternity that is cut off from the source of life. But no that Christ has come to break that power. He has come to release you from the burden that you could not possibly satisfy on your own. He has come to bring the spirit of life, the law of love and peace. He has come to bring belonging to souls that at one point were estranged. And by faith, all of this can be yours. So I think Paul wants us to ask, Which domain are you living under? Who do you serve? And he doesn't leave us with just that question, but then he gives us one final instruction here. And that instruction is to live according to the law of life. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul says multiple times here, set your mind. He says it in verse 6, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. William Temple uh, uh, was the Archbishop of Canterbury about 100 years ago, I think, and he said uh, a quote that he's become very famous for. He said, your religion is what you do with your solitude, meaning where your mind goes when it is not preoccupied. Where your mind goes when it is at rest, when you are, have nothing else to do, which is hard to imagine, but when you have nothing else to do and you begin to daydream, that is where your worship lies. That is where your mind goes and where your heart and affections lie. You see, the word mind here in Greek has a much more fuller understanding than what we initially imagine. We think of our intellect and our brain and where that engages. But for Paul and his readers, the mind, this word mind, meant much more than just the intellect. It also included our will and our affections. In short, it was everything about our lives. So in a sense, what Paul is saying is build your life 
everything about you on this new law, this new identity. The essence of who we are has become radically changed. We no longer live according to the pattern of this world. Instead, we've been transferred to another authority, another domain. We've been given a new identity that looks nothing like what we observe in the world. Everything has radically changed. And so, friends, set your mind on this good news. Let the gospel inform your values and your purpose in life. You belong to God and he belongs to you. You have been brought into a life by the same power that brought Jesus from uh, the grave. And you will spend all of eternity soaking in the pinnacle of that joy and that life and that peace. Let that be the foundation of your life. You no longer dwell in the domain of sin and death. Instead, you have been freed. I saw a beautiful story this morning, and uh, this was a late addition to the sermon. Uh, I saw this beautiful story this morning uh, about a man named uh, Lamonte McIntyre. In, in 1994, uh, Lamonte McIntyre was really falsely imprisoned for a double murder count. And he has been in prison up until that point. He was just uh, released this past week. And uh, there was this beautiful video of, of seeing him walk out of prison and uh, experience the joy of being reconnected with loved ones and family members. There was people there with signs and posters and there was hugs going all over the place. And, and uh, the story told us that one of the women, and there's a video of it, one of the woman, women that he hugged after he got out of prison was the woman who submitted the testimony that got him falsely imprisoned over 20 years ago. And what the video shows is he walks up to her and he embraces her. And he says, I forgive you. I don't want you to live with this burden that you have borne for over two decades. It was a beautiful moment where both of them experienced incredible freedom. Friends, the gospel tells us that there is no condemnation, not because we were innocent, but because Christ bore the penalty for all of us. And in that embrace of forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ, We find love, we find belonging, and we find true freedom. Let's pray.